So we are continuing this series today um, titled David After God's Own Heart. And uh, we started this just a couple weeks ago uh, as we are looking at this very prominent Old Testament figure. Um, and again, there's lots of biblical characters and, and figures that we see the stories of their lives and how they interacted with God and, and through these different phases of God's plan of redemption uh, to redeem all of us from our sin. And, and so we see again, King, King David is, is somebody who, uh, who is probably one of the most popular characters in the Bible. Um, but yet there are still parts of his life that we don't always study or look at. And so uh, but yet we looked at week one, how uh, God raised up Samuel and to go and to anoint King David, or David then was, was a nobody at that point. He was, uh, in fact, such an afterthought that his, his dad didn't even bring him to the meeting with Samuel when he was told to bring all of his sons. And, but we saw that story and how God had anointed David um, to be the next king of Israel. And then, uh, then, and we saw again this how God picked him and chose him and, and, and anointed him and how the spirit of God came upon him in a way then uh, that he had not had before. And then last week we looked at probably the most popular story from the Bible in our culture, one that, that most people um, don't even necessarily even probably know comes from the Bible. It's used so often and so much in our culture in the story of David and Goliath. And we saw last week how again, David focused on God's voice and God's leading in his life and and how through the victory that came as he faced Goliath, he was suddenly thrust into the spotlight, right? And, and David went from where we see in the first week where nobody knew him at all. In fact, even his own dad didn't even bring him to the meeting all the way to the, at the end of last week where everybody knew who David was because his victory over Goliath just thrust him into the spotlight um, really instantly. And so, but today that's where we're going to pick up this story now is what is now what's the aftermath of all of this, of, of all of this happening with Goliath and, and that victory and, and how is God continuing to move David through his plan to eventually being king of Israel? Uh, but with that said, as, as we've, we've started with this, this verse, this theme uh, passage uh, for this series in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, where it says, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. Again, we see this is the biblical um, reputation of David, right? That he is a man after God's heart. And we see why God anointed and, and picked David to be the next earthly king, because it says that he will do everything I want him to do. Now, again, Saul was the first earthly king of Israel because Israel was a nation that was set apart. They were God's chosen people. And one of the ways that they were different from every other nation was that they did not have an earthly king, that God was their king in heaven. But then there was a point right in Israel's history where they begged God for an earthly king. They're like, we want to be like everybody else. And so God uh, granted that request and gave them the first earthly king of Israel, and that was King Saul. Now, Saul started off really well. Obviously, God chose him. God had anointed him, put him in that position. And he started moving the nation and leading the nation uh, in God's will. And they, he was doing really well. But through that, through a series of compromises and small steps, Saul drifted. Right? And he ended up to the point where the power went to his head and, and his own ego grew. And, and he stepped away from 
God's plan for the nation into his own fleshly desires. And now, again, he got to that point where he finally crossed the line where God said, enough is enough, right? And I am going to remove you from kingship, right? And replaced him with David, with a man who would do what God wanted him to do. Yeah, I encourage you on your outline to underline the phrase, God removed Saul and replaced him with David. Okay, underline that phrase. God removed Saul and replaced him with David because that line shows what God's plan was. Okay, and it, it seems very clear, like that was God's plan and that was obviously God's plan for David, right? Was to remove Saul, to put David in his place and because David was a man after his own heart and that would do everything that God wanted him to do, unlike what Saul did in his time as king. Now again, we see God's plan, and, and it's easy to look at this verse and to look back at everything that God did and be like, yeah, God's plan was very obvious. Because notice this verse is in the book of Acts, right? It's a, it's a New Testament book. It's looking backwards at the story of Israel, right? And saying like, yeah, this was God's plan. This is what God did. And again, as we look backwards at those things, it's easy to be like, oh, God was in control. Like, I'm sure they never questioned. It was so obvious what God was doing. Right? And yet we sit back and be like, well, of course, it's easy to look backwards right? and to know what and recognize God's plan and, and all the steps that they had to go through and for them that. Because we, again, this is a concept we know to be true. When you look backwards, it's easy because hindsight is always 2020. Right? We know that phrase. Right, we, we know that looking backwards is easy. Again, as we look at, at backwards, we're like, oh, David, David knew God's plan. Right? I mean, it was, it was so easy for him just to live that out. And, and, and yet, we look at our own lives and trying to figure out what is God's plan in my life, and it's not so easy. Because hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? And, and again, we look at that and realize, and even when we look back at our own lives, we're like, oh yeah, God's plan, it's obvious now. Right? And yet, when we know that hindsight's twenty twenty, right, we also know that our vision is never perfect. Right? And I may never have perfect vision, but my hindsight is always 20-20. Right? And we know that to be true because we've all experienced that. And, and I'll tell you, the same was true for David. Right? Was that, again, it's easy for us to look back on his life, even the biblical writer actually look back on his life and be like, yeah, that was God's plan. Right? But yet we, we know right, that, that hindsight is 20-20, but foresight can be blind. Right? We sit back and be like, man, I... I have no idea what is in front of me or what my next step is or what I'm supposed to be fulfilling or what God's plan is for my life. And it's easy to look backwards, but looking forward is hard. Now, when we think about the life of David, right, he obviously knew that God had anointed him to be king. I mean, Samuel shows up, right, and, and anoints him and tells him, you are the next king of Israel. Right? And at this time, David was a teenager, Right? And, and it seems like, yeah, like David's plan, right? Or God's plan for David's life was laid out in front of him. But yet even after killing Goliath and being thrust into the spotlight, David did not take on that role or that title for himself. In fact, for several years later, he did not get that role and that title of king. 
And and the significant part of that is we're going to look at this process that took place in David's life from after killing Goliath until he actually becomes king of Israel, okay, is there's a long span that he works through. There's there's some different things that he has to, to follow through with and to be true and stay true to God's plan for him. Because it would have been very easy for David to get in God's way and to just take it for himself. Because foresight is not always as easy as it is to look backwards. Yeah, I I wanted to share this quote with you from uh, from this famous uh, philosopher and theologian, Soren Kierkegaard. He's a a very very well-read, I mean, respected uh, theologian and philosopher from history. In fact, when you look at that, but one of the things he said, he said, life can be understood, only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forward. Okay, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forward. And, and yet we are all there with that challenge, right? We have to take our next step forward in our faith and in our life. And yet, how do we know what that step is? How do we know what God's plan is, right? And we're going to learn from David this morning on how did David get God's plan for his life right? Because he did. He got it right, right? I mean, that's his reputation. We see his reputation was he did everything that God wanted him to do. So how did he get it right moving forward? How did he keep focused on the right thing? How did he not do it wrong? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I sit there in my life and look at God's plan and his will for me, and and I tend to get it wrong sometimes. How did David do that? Well, first off, I want to start off with the key phrase, right? The, the, The conclusion we're getting first. Okay, and this is the conclusion. As we watch David move through this whole phase of his life, Okay, is this phrase, we see him happen over and over again. Okay, is that it was God's timing or not at all. God's timing or not at all. Okay, and that was the key for David and, and the key for us, even as we seek out what is God's plan for my life and how do I get it right. Okay, it was God's timing or not at all. Okay, now today we're going to look at some different uh, events in David's life through this next phase, this phase from after killing Goliath until he actually becomes king of Israel. Okay, and we are going to cover 20 chapters of scripture today. Okay, I know you're all sitting there going like, do we have time to do that? I don't know. We, well, we're, we're going to get it done. Okay, we're going to cover 20 chapters of scripture today because this was not a, a quick or simple process. Okay, but it was one that God directed and it was one that David um, kept his focus on. It was God's timing or not at all, even though he already knew the end of the story, right, was he was supposed to be king. But yet he stayed focused on God and his plan, and he did not step in and take it himself. Okay, we're going to see this first off here in 1 Samuel chapter 18. So that's where we're starting today, 1 Samuel 18, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9. So if you have your Bible with you, please open with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you don't have your own Bible, I don't have it with you today. There are Bibles you can use in the, seat, in the seat pockets. Please grab one of those. Again, you'll notice on the outline of the page numbers of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Um, but we're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 18, uh, verse 1. And so we're picking up right where we left off last week. Okay, again, 17 is where he kills Goliath. And then he goes and he, he talks to, to Saul. And then uh, 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. 
And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all of the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals, and this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll make him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So this again is the aftermath of him killing Goliath. Okay, he goes, then they, 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 could, they continue on through the war, right? David, um, you know, breaks it free. He kills Goliath. They, they go and they, they, they get them and then they continue on in this war of the Philistines and they have a very solid victory. Right? And then after this solid victory in this, in this conflict of the Philistines, they go marching back to the homeland. They arrive back in, uh, you know, in their country, and they have this, this grand fair, this um, you know, celebration and parade as they enter the city victorious and with all this plunder and, and all this stuff is going on. And again, it's this great grand party. And in the middle of that is this, this song that they're singing in, in victorious celebration, right? And, and the, the lyrics of the song make Saul very, very upset, right? Because Saul says, wait a minute, this David guy that just, it was just thrust into the spotlight, like, like just a little bit ago, nobody even knew who he was. And now they're crediting him with 10,000s and me with only thousands, right? And as you see, Saul's ego was seriously threatened. By David. In fact, we see again, once again, that everybody could see what God was doing here. In fact, Saul himself literally said God's plan, right, in his rebuttal, in his anger, right? He's like, soon they're going to make David king instead of me, right? And as, and as Saul is fuming in his ego, he literally prophetically says exactly what's happening, Right? And so this seems obvious again to everybody what God's plan is. Which brings us to our first point that we learn out of this situation, right? Is that even if God's plan is obvious, it might not be widely accepted. Okay, it seems at this point, right? Even just, just a, a small amount of time after he kills Goliath, um, even Saul himself knows exactly what God's plan is. And he says it right here. God is going to replace me with David. He's going to be king. And yet, it was not widely accepted, especially by Saul himself. And again, Saul was still king. Right? He had all of the authority. He had all of the power. Everybody listened to him. Right? And Saul says, no, I, I don't like where this is heading. Right? And, and this starts this long turmoil between David and and Saul, because notice again, how does this, this verse 8 end, right? It ends with it saying that Saul kept an, an, a jealous eye on David, right? Because at this time, right, David never went back to Bethlehem to his shepherds, right? David was now living in the palace. David was a part of the day-to-day -day of Saul's life. Because remember, part of 
of the, the reward for killing Goliath was that David married one of Saul's daughters. And so now Saul is, is living in the palace. He's, a, a, you know, he's married to one of Saul's daughters and, and David's not going anywhere and Saul does not like it. Right? He keeps an, a jealous eye on him. And it starts this, this ongoing cycle here of where, where David's around and Saul gets upset and tries to kill him. So then David runs and hides. And, and then Saul, um, you know, uh, apologizes and asks for forgiveness. And then David comes back around and then Saul gets mad again and tries to kill him. And David runs and David hides, right? And we start this cycle that happens over and over and over again through the next 20 chapters of scripture. And, and as we see this process continuing, as God starts to, to, to prime the pump and get it ready for David to take over his leadership, but it does not happen quickly and it does not happen smoothly. Right? As we see this continue on, right, then, then we see that there are always ripples to every decision and every change. Okay, Saul knows the change that's coming, and yet he, he doesn't like it. And, and when, any, when any change happens, when any decision is made, there are ripples from that decision, and those ripples affect everybody around. Right? When you throw a rock into a pond, right, you see ripples move out from that action. And those ripples affect lots of other people. And that any time a decision is made or a change is made, there are ripples. And the more people that are involved, the bigger the ripples. And there is no bigger ripples than changing kings in Israel. God, as we see this, right, as I said, we started this, this process. And so this happens Okay, David is on the run. David is, is in hiding. And we're going to read the next one. We're going to read um, part of this process is in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And we're going to pick up at verse 3. So flip over to 1 Samuel 24. Okay, and we start to see these different ripples moving around. Okay, David is, is in running and is in hiding. And there's some different guys that have come with David that are loyal to him. Okay, and so he's got this kind of band of guys that are running and hiding from Saul. Okay, and then, so we're going to pick up this story, 1 Samuel 24, starting in verse 3, where he says, At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my Lord, the king, he said to his men. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king, and attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. You know, one of the reasons why I love the Bible is because it just tells us the truth. Right? It wouldn't have to tell us why Saul went into the cave, but it does. Right, something that we can all identify with and understand, but yet it's still slightly embarrassing. And yet Saul is here in this vulnerable position and time, right? And David has the chance, right, to, to kill Saul and to claim the throne for himself. Okay, remember, he knows he's been anointed. Samuel told him God's plan for his life. And now he's been thrust in the spotlight and he has the chance sitting in front of him to take it himself. 
So, but David's in the, in the cave. Right? He doesn't do it. Right? Instead, he, he cuts off Saul's, a piece of Saul's robe, right? Again, proving that, that he could have done anything he wanted to do. Right? That, that Saul was in his hand. And yet, even though he was already anointed, he wouldn't take it himself. Right? Because what was his attitude? His attitude was God put him in this position and God is going to take him out. That is not my job. Right? So David knew that his role right, was not to remove Saul. Right? He was waiting on God's plan. He says, God anointed him and made him king. God will remove him. I'm not going to do it myself. Right? And, and, and notice, why did David not do that? Because it says, there's this phrase right in the passage, it says, because David's conscience bothered him. Again, that was not just his conscience. That was the Holy Spirit speaking to him. Right? The Holy Spirit was telling him, don't do this. This is not right. This is not God's plan. And yet, the guys that were with David had a different opinion. Right? Their opinion was, look, God has delivered him to you. He is in your hand. Take what is rightfully yours. And that leads then to this next concept that we see, right, about how do we know what God's plan is? Because people can make their opinion sound like God's plan. People can make their opinion sound like God's plan. Again, their, their reason, reasoning seems pretty sound. But here, God's already anointed you. You are going to be king. Everybody knows it, right? God has given him. He's delivered him to you. Take what is rightfully yours. But David's conscience bothered him. Right? And the Holy Spirit was speaking into David and saying, that's not my plan. Don't do it. Do not take it into your own hands. Because remember, it is God's timing or not at all. God put him in. God will take him out. And just because an opinion or a position is popular doesn't mean it is God's will. Let me say that again because that's really important. Just because an opinion or position is popular doesn't mean it is God's will. Because everybody else in that cave was telling David to take what was rightfully his. But the Holy Spirit was telling him, don't do it. It's not right. You're not ready. The timing isn't right. And David didn't do it. But other people can make their opinion sound like God's plan. But we have to be conscious of God's voice. And God's opinion is the one that really matters. Right? And David didn't take it himself. And then we see, that again, at the aftermath of this, right? David comes out, he shows him, like, look, I could have killed you, I didn't kill you. And Saul's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And come back, and I want, uh, you know, everything's great. And he does, and then the cycle continues, and Saul tries to come again, and he goes and runs again. Okay? And then, and, and the, every time the cycle goes, it escalates, right? And, and more guys follow David, more guys get more entrenched in Saul's side, and, and, and there's this, this whole huge tension that's happening. And then we end up in a very similar situation in 1 Samuel 26. And that is our next passage we're going to look at in 1 Samuel 26, verses 8 through 12. So again, David has his guys, you know, they're, they're kind of running and hiding from Saul because Saul's trying to kill him again. Okay, Saul has his guys, they're, they're camped out, okay, they're, as they're searching for David. And then um, we end up here where David and one of his, his 
um, high officials with him, the two of them sneak into Saul's camp in the middle of the night. Okay, so we're picking up here 1 Samuel 26, verse 8, where it says, God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time, Abishai whispered to David. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't need to strike twice. Again, Saul is asleep on the ground. Everybody's asleep around him, right? They're literally standing next to Saul, and this guy's like, dude, I'll pin him to the ground. You finish the job. We're done, right? Then, but David said, no, don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday, or he will die of old age or in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one that he's anointed. But take his spear and that jug of water beside his head, and then let's get out of here. So David took the spear and the jug of water that was near Saul's head, and then he and Abishai got away without anyone seeing them or even waking up because the Lord had put Saul's men into a deep sleep. So again, here, Saul is, is, is right in front of David. David can take his life, but he doesn't do it. Now, notice Abishai is like, dude, I, I'm here to help you. Let's, let's, let's take care of this. Let's end this, right? Just let's do it. And again, David says no, but the reason he doesn't do it now is a different reason than why he didn't kill him in the cave. Okay, the, the difference here, right, is that Again, that he's looking at that. He once again takes his water jug and his spear to prove that he could have done this, right? He's like, instead of crushing your head, I stole your water jug. Okay, that was literally sitting right next to your head. He's like, this is a conscious choice that I made, right? And, then, and this exchange after them, right? Saul is yelling back and forth. And, and again, Dave comes out. But notice, right, um, that why he doesn't kill him this time. Okay, because he says... Right, he says, who am I? Right? Like, I've gone through this process. If I took Saul's life now, then my own integrity would be in question. Because right? he said, I've had the chances before. God has told me not to do it. Okay? And, and he says, right, if I take him now, right, then I, because I've taken the stand, that I am not going to remove him myself. And if I do it now, then my entire integrity and leadership is in, in question. Okay, and then we see then our next concept, right, that we learn is that opportunity does not always equal God's plan. Opportunity does not always equal God's plan. Now, sometimes it does. Right? Sometimes God oh, uh, uh, anoints it and puts the opportunity in front of us, and then we, we need to take it. But again, we got to listen to God's voice, because at this point in the story, it was more about David's integrity than it was about his position. Okay, in fact, God was even active in this role, in this story, right? In this opportunity. Because notice this phrase, right? In the last part of this verses that we read, it says the Lord had put Saul's men into a deep sleep. The only reason that David and his desk guy was not caught in the camp was because God didn't let it happen. Right, God had even presented the opportunity to David. And yet David says, no, it, it would go against everything I've stood for up to this point if I took Saul's life right now. And so he didn't do it. It was more about his opportunity or it was more about his integrity than it was about the opportunity. Since David had taken such a strong stand, if he took this opportunity that was in front of him and killed Saul, his integrity would have been deeply in question and it would have deeply affected his leadership moving forward. 
right? Then we see again, he, he reiterates this point in verses 23 and 24, okay, where, where he says this. He says, the Lord gives his own reward for doing good and for being loyal, and I refuse to kill you even when the Lord placed you in my power, for you are the Lord's anointed one. Now may the Lord value my life even as I have valued yours today. May he rescue me from all of my troubles. Again, David is literally shouting this to Saul across the ways. He's like, look, I got your water jug. I have your spear. I could have killed you last night, and I didn't. He's like, because God puts you there, and God will take you out. I will not take it in my own hands. And is he telling him that? Like, now we say, but we all, again, we know God's plan, right? And David know God's plan. And this brings us then to our, the last point, concept that we can learn from David's life today, and that is that God will finish his plan. God will finish his plan. But remember, it's God's timing or not at all. It's God's timing or not at all. God will finish his plan. And I don't know how many times in my own life, again, I can stand up here and tell you, there have been times in my life when I sit back and I'm like, God, I know your plan. You need to do this now. And then God doesn't do it. And I'm like, God, why didn't you do that? And then God's like, Brian, that was your plan. That wasn't my plan. But I will finish my plan. Okay, and he will. Okay, and we see that happen again in David's life. Okay, God finishes the plan. In, in 1 Samuel 31 verse 8, that's how, where the book of 1 Samuel ends in verse 31, okay, or in chapter 31 verse 8, and it says, then the next day the Philistines went out to strip the dead and they found the bodies of Saul and his three sons on Mount Gilboa. Again, Saul was removed. He was killed in battle, okay? God removed him out of that position, okay? But even once Saul was dead, the process of David taking leadership in Israel was not over, that's how we end the book of 1 Samuel, but then we move into 2 Samuel. And then we see in 2 Samuel 3, uh, verse 1, okay, where it says that that was the beginning of a long war between those who were loyal to Saul and those loyal to David. As time passed, David became stronger and stronger, while Saul's dynasty became weaker and weaker. Again, this was still as a part of God's plan and his timing, right, was that, again, there was this, this, this time where there's this huge tension of those that were loyal to Saul and those that were loyal to David. And, and over the time, more became loyal to David, less became Saul, and eventually the scale tips. Now, again, had this not happened, had there not been this season of, their, of this, this transition of power, right, if David had just taken the throne ahead of time, then there would have been a lengthy civil war in Israel, of those that were still true to, to Saul, right? And saying, you know, David's not my king, right? And, and there, but, but instead, to avoid that process, God takes David through this, this transition, right? To where the, the, the scales eventually tip. And then we end up, right, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, where eventually the entire nation of Israel comes to David and they submit themselves to his leadership. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Then all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, We are your own flesh and blood, and in the past, when Saul was our king, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel. And the Lord told you, You will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. So there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel, and they anointed him king of Israel. 
And because of this time and because of this process and this, this long drawn out cycle of 20 chapters of scripture, it ends up to where David, from the very first moment he was king, ruled the entire nation in unity. Right? And if David had not followed God's plan, that would have never happened. Right? And this transition of leadership ended up seamless because it was God's timing or not at all. Right? And God led through this. Now, how does this part of David's life helped me in my faith journey. How did David get God's plan right in his life? Okay, we see how David did it. Right? God's timing or not at all. So how can I get God's plan right in my life? Okay, we can see these concepts that, that apply to us just as much as it did to David, but there's a few other biblical concepts I want to point out this morning on how do I live out this process in my own life. Number one is I need to remember that the right action in the wrong season, will still yield the wrong result. Even the right action in the wrong season will still give me the wrong result. Right? David knew he was going to be king of Israel. David had chance after chance to take that himself. Right? That was the right action. But if he had done it in the wrong season, it would have been the wrong result. Right? It was not would have been the best of what God had intended for him. Right? The right action in the wrong season will still give me the wrong results. We see in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and verses 11, it says, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Right? There are, there's more to the picture than we can see. Right? As we move forward, as we live life forward, right, there are things that we don't know, there are things we cannot see, but we can trust God in his timing right? in saying that God will ordain the right season for the right action and give me the right result because there is a season for every activity under heaven. Right? And God sees the picture bigger than us. Okay, next is we can understand that God's timing can be trusted. Again, as I've already shared, right, there's so many times in my life I sat back and be like, God, you're late. And God's like, no, I'm not. Right? My timing can be trusted. Right, and when we think about that, right, we need to first remember what Peter teaches us in 2 Peter 3.8. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Right? When we sit back and be like, Lord, you're a thousand years too late. And God's like, no, I'm not. It's only been a day. Relax. I've got this. Stop arguing with me, Brian. God said that before. Right? But then we also know in Hebrews 10, 23, right? let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Right? If God has promised it, God will do it. Again, God promised David he would be king, right? But there was a huge, long process before he ever got there. But God's timing could be trusted because God fulfilled his promise. Which leads me then to the last thing is to, that we need to remember and understand that the process can be just as important as the result. The process can be just as important as a result. Remember in David's life, had he taken it himself as he took the kingship 
early, then the result would not have been God's plan and God's best for him. Right? But yet, the process made David into who he was and set him up to lead 100% from the first moment he was anointed as king by the people. And he led in unity. Right? And that would have never happened had he not lived out the process. Okay, remember in Hebrews 12, 5 through 6 and verse 11, it tells us, And have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? And he said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Like discipline in a moment is never enjoyable, especially when it's from God. But yet, we can trust that his timing is perfect, that he will come through in his promises, and that the process is just as important as the end results. All of your experiences, all of your mess-ups, and all of your victories have formed you into the person that you are today. And if you take those away, then you wouldn't be you. And we shouldn't feel guilty or regretful for our past. But through God's power, be forgiven and be redeemed. And through God's love, he will use those experiences for his glory moving forward. Because if you take those out of your life, you're not who God needs you to be to fulfill his plan. God's timing or not at all. Right, and David's reign as king would have been very different had he not experienced this long road to get there. Because during that time, God was preparing him for his next season of his life. Right, and through this whole back and forth with Saul, he was in the palace and he was seeing the day-to-day -day of a king and, and he was interacting with the people of Israel. Right, and through the process, right, he led 100% in unity from the first day he was king. And the process was incredibly important in that result. And the process that God is taking you through in your faith journey is incredibly important for you to fulfill everything that God has you to do. And as we look at that and know that and continue to pursue God's plan for us, again, we can follow these steps and we can learn from David and, and know what God's plan is for us because he shows us the next step, not always the end results. And are we going to be faithful to that and knowing when to move and when not to move? Which leads into my final thought this morning, and that comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And where Paul tells us, says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. God has a plan for you. Okay, his plan is good and pleasing and perfect, but God also has a process in you to get you to fulfill that plan. Right, and just as it says, right, what's a part of that process is us being transformed into what God needs us to be. Right, and we do that by staking that step forward in our faith every day. That we, we're closer to Christ tomorrow than I am today. Right, and, and I, I learn God's plan for me, just like David did. So as we 
think about that and contemplate that, I hope that you will see what God's plan is for you and you will be faithful to it in every step. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, that you love us, Lord, no matter where we are. Lord, we thank you that you have a plan for us. And God, that even when we seem like we don't understand your timing or we don't know what our next step is, God, you're with us and we're never alone. And God, we praise you for that today. Lord, we thank you for that today. Lord, and ask that you would continue to lead us, Lord, and show us what is our next step. God, what are you calling us to? God, what is your plan? Lord, may you continue to transform us, Lord, as we seek you with everything we have. God, and, and get us ready, Lord, through that, that process, and that discipline, Lord, to fulfill everything you have for us to do. God, we thank you for meeting us exactly where we are. God, and for not leaving us the same. God, help us as we continue to move forward and follow your plan, Lord, and fulfill everything you have for us. We thank you, God. Guide us as we go this week, Lord, as we live out our journey and our faith in everything we do. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.